This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a good rating to help others find Out of Water. This time on the Out of Water podcast, we're bringing you part of a message from Pastor Sam Kastensmith in his series, The Miracle Behind the Miracles. In this episode, Sam continues our discussion of the great miracles that Jesus performed on the Sea of Galilee. We focus on two miracles in the Gospels that both involve the Apostle Peter and great catches of fish. In the first miracle, when Peter is first called as an apostle, he desperately wants the Lord to get away from him because he's a sinful man. But in the second miracle, Peter desperately wants to draw near to the Lord because he's a sinful man. What had changed? And what does this reveal about our Savior? Let's go to the Ingram Center Theater at Rio Vista Community Church and Pastor Sam Kastensmith. And so then you get into these miracles where he begins to call his apostles. And I I love this. It says, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is Galilee, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing and mending their nets. And this is a pain in the neck. This is what mending nets would have looked like. Like every time you've got fish guts and rocks and dirt and all your ropes are broken. So every night when you're done fishing, it's a pain in the neck to make your nets ready to go for the next fishing trip. So when Jesus comes and says or asks Peter to do what he does, it would have been like, are you kidding me? Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, that's Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down to teach the people from the boat. So the reason why you do this, we have a lake house. My family has a lake house up in North Florida, and you have to be careful when you have a conversation on the, in a boat, because what happens? Well, that sound travels everywhere. You got to be really careful. And so he gets in a boat, and it's like amplifying, right? He's speaking to the crowds that are up on these hills. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets for a catch. Let them down. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And so they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And there's so much to this story. I'm going to start with the sovereignty of God. What does this mean? What does it mean that he controls for this miracle to happen? When, when he says, Hey, Peter, I want you to let down your nets. That means that Jesus, in that moment, has somehow sovereignly controlled every single fish to get right underneath the boat, right where they're going to drop the nets, to know exactly where they're going to be, and boom, there they are. And they're all in the net. It's overflowing. I mean, the boat begins to sink. So it's like all the fish in Galilee go, wait, the master's calling. 
<laughs> time to go get caught. And then he uses this analogy to say, you're, go- you're going to become fishers of men. And so this is a comfort to somebody who's a terrible evangelist. <laughs> you get to control whether you drop your nets, right? Who controls whether there's fish underneath them? Guess what the only way you'll never catch a fish is? If you don't drop nets, you're not going to catch fish. But if you're faithful to put those nets down, let him control who's under your boat. Right? There's great sovereignty to that. The Lord knows exactly who needs to be in your ministry. The Lord knows exactly who is in your circle of influence. You might be thinking of names right now, hopefully so, of of places where you need to drop nets and to see if the Lord has them under your boat. So there's a sovereignty to that that takes away the fear of, oh, you know, I've got to figure out, I've got to like bounty hunter this fish down all throughout the... No, drop your nets. Just keep dropping your nets. The next thing, and I love this, when Peter sees this, he's a fisherman. His brother's a follower of John the Baptist, but we don't know that Peter's all that religious. When he sees the catch, what's his immediate response? Depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. We live in a a day and age now, there really is no fear of God. Like, can you imagine? And, And here's the deal. In the most wicked of times throughout history, there's one common thing that when the angel of the Lord or God appears before a person, what happens every time? Get away from me. Get away from me. Get away from me. You know, we're starting a Proverbs series where we're talking about the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom. We have no appreciation for how unbelievably holy and powerful and mighty our God is. When we stand before him with all the mess, there is a very real sense where we should be looking at all, of he, all that he is, all of his holiness. He's just amazing. He's powerful. He, uh, he, we belong to him. Our entire reason for existing is him. This earth is his. Our children are his. Our wives and husbands, his. All of it belongs to him, and he's called us to live after his commands. And he ultimately will hold every single one of us accountable in all of his might and all of his glory. And there's a very real sense that when we imagine standing before him, we should... Oh my goodness. There's like a wincing of if we really knew who he was... But then the beautiful thing is when you open your eyes, you see that same God hanging on a cross. He's so powerful. We have great reason to hold him in reverential fear, to know who he is, to know what his power is, to know how much we owe him. But when we catch a glimpse of who he really is, we see him on a cross because he knows the debt we owe we can never pay. It's an infinite one. And so an infinite God hangs on a cross to pay our infinite debt to clothe us in his infinite righteousness. And this is what God is going to start teaching Peter. When Peter says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. If there was no redemption story in line for Peter, he'd have been totally right. Oh, get away from me, please, please, please. But God knows what's going to happen with Peter. We're going to fast forward and and skip to the last of these miracles at Galilee. Peter's story begins with him in a boat, right? And and Jesus says, let down your nets. And Peter does, and then he's overwhelmed. 
And he's totally ashamed of who he is. He's like, oh my goodness, I'm standing before the Lord of glory. Depart from me. I'm totally unworthy of you. Please, please, please depart from me. And Jesus comes to him and says, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Wait until I redeem you. Wait until you understand my love and what's going to happen with you. And so that's the beginning of Peter's ministry. And at the end of the Gospels, there's this really, really beautiful, familiar story. And I love this. But it shows the heart of the Lord toward Peter. So at the end of the Gospels, the Gospel of Luke tells us that Peter's like, I will never leave you. I'll never, ever, ever, ever abandon you. Even if I have to go to prison, if I have to die, I will never leave you. And Jesus comes to Peter, and he's like, Peter, (laughs) before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Peter's like, no, (laughs) it's not going to happen. And so what happens when when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and the soldiers come to arrest him, Peter's like ready to go. He's living up to his word. He actually takes out a sword. He goes to fight for Jesus. He cuts off the high priest's servant's ear. He's ready to die. Jesus says, stop. Put your sword away. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And Peter's going, but I don't don't understand. I don't understand. Jesus says, don't, I've got to go. This is my mission. So Jesus is taken to the city of Jerusalem, where he's going to go through these kangaroo courts and the priests and elders are spitting on him and beating him and falsely accusing him. And he's in the courtyard of the high priest and there's this really poignant moment where Peter's de- he's denying Jesus. And after the third denial, the rooster crows and the gospel of Luke gives us this bone-chilling story that Peter remembered what the Lord had said, then turned and looked into the courtyard where Jesus was And it says, Jesus' eyes were fixed on Peter. Bloodied face, marred beyond human recognition, Isaiah says, and those eyes are just peeking through all that suffering, catching Peter's eyes. And Peter has a choice. He doesn't want me to fight. He wants me to surrender. And he turns and bails and runs out and weeps bitterly. And you fast forward to resurrection. Jesus is raised and the disciples are back at the Sea of Galilee. And I love this story. It says, they went out, got in a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Sound familiar? Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore Yet his disciples did not know that it was Jesus. He wants to teach them something. Jesus said to them, Children, don't you have any fish? And they answered him, No. And so he says something familiar. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And so they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, therefore said to Peter, it's it's the Lord. And when Simon heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. And without getting into why he's naked fishing, he's got on his underwear. If you had to fish in Galilee, you wouldn't want all those things on you either with fish guts and everything else, especially if you only have one change of clothing. So anyway, 
when he finds, when John says, it's the Lord, I want you to understand how beautiful this is, right? At the beginning, the first time that Peter had ever encountered the divinity of God, this man controls the fish, he controls nature, he controls all things. His instinct is, oh, I've just, I haven't even done, I don't, haven't even done anything wrong publicly, but depart from me. I'm a sinful man, get away from me. And here's Peter in the boat, and I love this. When, when John says, it's the Lord, Peter's walked with this man for three years. He has seen how this man has not given up on the poor, the left out, the wretched, the messed up, the per- person who stumbles again and again and again. And if, you, if your last memory of, of Jesus, one of your last memories of Jesus was him looking at you through his suffering and you bailing on him, and the next gospel conversation about what you your interaction with Jesus is in a boat with Jesus on the shore and John saying, it's the Lord. Do you leap into the waters to get to him as fast as you can? Or do you like, oh no, like try to hide under the side of the boat because you don't want him to know that you're there. Peter totally understood the nature of Jesus and could not wait to get to him. How many times have you denied Jesus today? Do you know him well enough that in all your mess and all your sin that you can't wait to get back to him? There's, that, there's no point in which you hide under the side of the boat going, oh my goodness, he's there. He knows what I've done. Peter knows the Lord, jumps in, can't wait to get to him, knows that he'll be restored, knows that he'll be embraced. And so then it's how he's embraced that's really wonderful. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, so he, he takes him by himself, they walk away, not in front of the other apostles, and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He's humbling them. Not mean. But remember what Peter said? Even if all of them abandon you, if they all leave you hanging, I never will. And so Jesus is saying, do you really love me more than all of them? And the word that he uses there, the Greek word agapao, is such a powerful word. There's different words for love, and I want to go through this because it's really powerful. The word agapao is like the deepest sense of that word. It means that no matter what the circumstance is, no matter what the emotion at the moment is, no matter what's going on, agapao. Agape love, agapao, is a decision of the will. No matter what, I am going to love you. No matter what circumstance, no matter what threat, no matter what pain, no matter what, I am not going to leave you. You're mine and I'm yours. I'm all in. There's nothing that can tear me away from you kind of love. And so Jesus comes to him and says, do you agapao me more than them? And Peter responds with a different kind of love. He's crushed. He has no sense of confidence anymore. And so he responds and he says, Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Phileo, it's where we get Philadelphia, brotherly love, philophilo. It's, it's that sense of, man, I have such affectionate regard for you. Do you know how much I love you? Like, I feel so warm toward you. I, I, I want you to know that. Like, I want to give you a hug. I want to cry on your shoulder. I, I want to, you don't know how much I feel for you. So Jesus said, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agapao me? 
Will you leave it all on the floor? Will you come after me no matter what the consequences? Will you love me with a decision of the will that will never rip you away from me? Can you promise to love me like that? And he responds again, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I'm not going to speak from this sense of confidence that I've always had. It's like Peter saying, I've always been the brash one. I've always been the one that said, I'll never do this. I'll always do this. I'm the best of the apostles. I know I'll never bail on you. And at this moment, he's just come off this crushing, humiliating moment where he bailed. And all he can do here is to offer the Lord and say, you know how much affection I have for you. You don't know how much I love you, but I'm not going to say I'll never bail. I don't know. I, I, I'm crushed. And Jesus said, tend my sheep. And this is where Jesus is just tender. So here's where Peter's about to break. Am I going to be restored? Am I enough? Is what I can give you enough, Jesus? Because if he asks one more time, do you agapao me? And I have to say again, no, I don't, but I phileo you. Oh my Lord, like it would just drive me into the dirt. And so listen to this, the tenderness of Jesus. Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? He lowers the bar for him. I know you do. Peter was grieved because he said it a third time. Why is he grieved that he said it a third time? What's Jesus walking back? You denied me three times. I'm walking back those denials. I'm restoring you. And I'm giving you a bar that right now, I know you meet. I know you phileo me. I know that you're all in. I know that your heart melts when you see me. I know that you're grieved right now that I ask you, why? Because you love me to pieces. And so Peter begins to break and he says, oh Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And then he says this, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Tradition tells us that many years later, Peter's going to be taken to Rome during the reign of Nero, and he's going to be crucified. And as they prepare to crucify him, Peter will offer up one request. I am not worthy to die in the manner of my Lord. And so they crucified him upside down. They stretched out his hands, right? And we read that and we think, oh no. This isn't a punishment, guys. This is an encouragement. Why is Peter devastated? Because I'm not all in. Right now, I can't say that I will leave it all on the floor for you. I, I can't say that you're more important to me than life and comfort and health and, and all that. I'm a work in progress, but man, I really do love you. My affections for you are intense. And so when Jesus says, Peter, one day you're going to stretch out your arms. I don't think Peter receives that so much going, oh, thanks. I think what Jesus is telling Peter is, hey, it's all right. In time, as you come to know me and lean on me, you will agapao me. It's coming. So keep drawing near. Give me the phileo. Give me what you've got. And what you'll find is as your love builds for me, it will transform who you are. 
And it will make you absolutely realize, like the Apostle Paul, who left everything, said, I count it all rubbish. The word scubulon in Greek literally means, I count it all sewage that I gain you. I'll lay it all down. And Paul was beheaded. There's still so many areas in my life where the Lord comes to me and says, Sam, do you agapao me? And I got to look at my track record and say, what are you asking me to give up now before I answer? The Lord works with us to get us to the point over time to where eventually there's nothing that we would not lay down for the sake of grabbing him. That's agapao. And he redeems Peter. He goes from depart from me, I'm a sinful man, to oh my goodness, where are you? I'm a sinful man, I need you. That's the heart of the gospel. Always looking for him, especially in the midst of our failures. (laughs) Especially when we're weak, especially when we're isolated, especially when we're left out. All those moments, that's when he's most beautiful and most powerful and most attractive. And that's the Jesus we need to take to this world. Psalm 34, which I love, Psalm 34, it says, The Lord draws near to the brokenhearted and those who are crushed in spirit. If anything, he's especially near to us in the lows. You know, when things are good, I say, I don't need you. When things are bad, I say, I can't see any other solution. I need you. You know, C.S. Lewis has this great line that says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts in our pain. Pain is the megaphone, God's megaphone to raise a deaf world. And it's true. If I look at the most formative moments in my life where God blessed me beyond measure or made me make a decision that blessed me beyond measure or drew me nearer to himself, it's all the bad. It's all the lows. And God used this. I wouldn't be married to Laura if it weren't for the lows. I don't know that she could say the same. That might have been the low. (laughs) But... But he's especially tender in the lows. I remember a long time ago hearing a Bible teacher say, they gave an an analogy where he said, okay, I want you to take Hitler on this end of the extreme of holiness and righteousness. And here's Hitler, and here's the line, and here's God. Where are you on that scale? And so what we want to do, almost everybody wants to go somewhere in the middle because they don't want to be too proud. And they want to say, well, I'm about right here, right in the middle. And he says, do you understand that God is infinitely righteous? If God is infinitely righteous, meaning you can't track out how far righteous he is, then where are you on that line again? You're like right on top of Hitler. We don't want to hear that. We really don't want to hear that. And so what we do is we say, we're in the middle And so we look to everybody on this side of us and go, they're the problem, right? But the reality is we live in such a broken world, and here's the deal, man, whether they agree with you, which side of the political aisle you're on, religion, whatever, we live in a world where everybody can agree that it's not the world we want. We live in a world where there, it feels enslaving. It feels, you know, there's tragedy all around us. There's there's racism and hatred, and there's injustice, and there's poverty, and there's all this stuff. And here's the deal. Here, here's the analogy. This is inappropriate, and so I apologize in advance. We're all living in Auschwitz. We are nowhere near what we were created to be. We're all emaciated spiritually. We're all 
under this oppression of this, this system that's not supposed to be. We're, we're being mistreated. And here's what happened in those concentration camps. It wasn't just the Germans that were monstrous. Some people were unbelievably heroic and they were charitable, but other people thought, I have no hope outside of here, and so I'm going to do whatever I can to connive. And so they started stealing from each other and, and treating each other terribly. And so here's the deal. You read any book on, on the Holocaust, and one of the things that they will talk about is the biggest struggle is not the lice, the biggest struggle wasn't the starvation, the biggest struggle was, can I hold on to hope? Guys, we have a guaranteed release. The victory is coming. The allies are on the way. The Savior is going to redeem us from this stupid, messed up, fallen, painful world. And so in the meantime, if we're in Auschwitz and we're ravaged, we're really crazy if we look around going, look at them. I'm so much better than them. It's almost cruel. It is cruel to have that mindset. We're all a mess. We're all emaciated. We're all in prison. In this life, the greatest thing we can do is to go around and spread the hope that this is not all there is. There is a release coming. There is a Savior that's going to lead us out of here and give us a life for the way it was designed to be. There's something beautiful coming. And when you know there's something beautiful coming, even if it's months more, years more in the concentration camp, if you know that it's coming, hope can make you bear up under unbelievable suffering with joy. Thanks, Sam. And thank you, friends, for listening to our podcast. If you liked what you heard, please give us a good rating. That will help others find the podcast also. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.